Disclaimer, the following is for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not replace or supersede information and healthcare plans from your healthcare provider or healthcare team. If you have questions about individualized treatment, please consult your healthcare team or provider. Over here, we're all about ADHD, bipolar, and trauma. Today, we're going to talk about ADHD and women. I have a special guest for you, Mama, named Alexis, and we're going to talk about some of her experiences with ADHD as a woman. We've all seen it. The wild little boy who seems to be everywhere all at one time, who's kind of jumping everywhere, talking, playing with things, somebody being rough and tumble, and they are either kind of harassing their poor teacher or they are being followed by a seemingly harried parent, usually their mom, who's just desperate to get them to sit down and behave and maybe not touch other people and touch other things, not be everything everywhere. This is the stereotypical idea that people have whenever it comes to ADHD. Rarely do they include any thought of women and girls having ADHD. And that is not surprising. ADHD is diagnosed at a very high rate for boys. According to the CDC and a 2016 National Parent Survey, about 6.1 million children have ADHD. And that is a rate of about 9.4%. Of that, whenever it breaks down, is 388,000 children ages 2 to 5 years. 2.4 million children ages 6 to 11 years, 3.3 million children aged 12 to 17 years. Now, the rate of ADHD diagnosis for boys to girls is 12.9% boys and about 5.6% girls. Whenever you get to adults, it's about 13% for men and about 4.2% for women. So no matter how you break this down, the rate of diagnosis for boys and men are about three times more than they are for women and girls. Why is this? What is the difference between men and boys and women and girls? Well, the difference is the fact that ADHD can look very different in women and girls than it does in men and boys. So it looks so different that the diagnosis age for women happens to be about late 30s to early 40s. And usually it comes after a child or family member is diagnosed. Now you have to keep in mind that ADHD symptoms, according to the DSMV-5, which is diagnostic manual for uh, psychiatric, well, for just medical conditions, says that the symptoms have to be present before the age of 12. So when you think about it, these women and girls have been struggling for a very long time with these symptoms. And in many ways, they are unseen. As a child, I danced on desk in my class. I talked up just incessantly. I was always either kind of spacing out and just focusing very much on something or seemingly focusing very much on something. Or I was just being a busybody. And I was unseen. At that time, no one thought that I could have ADHD. This is so much so that whenever I mentioned it to a psychologist at the age of 16, 17 years old, she contributed my symptoms to depression rather than ADHD, 
even though my symptoms have been present before the age of 12 and were very much in line with what ADHD looks like in women and girls. In women and girls, ADHD frequently looks like difficulty with time management, disorganization, feeling overwhelmed, difficulty with money management, management, low self-esteem, more emotional and psychological distress, missed deadlines, appointments, etc., people pleasing, executive functioning deficits, which we'll get into in a, a later episode, um, feeling like their lives are utter chaos. There's also masking and masking is pretty much what it sounds like whenever you put a mask over something. Girls and women are much better at this than men and boys, which is saying that they're much better at hiding their symptoms than men and boys. Also, there's feeling like their lives are utter chaos, daydreaming quietly in class for girls, exhibiting silliness or ditziness for girls, acting shy or inattentive, trouble maintaining friendships. Now, this doesn't mean that they can't make friendships. Actually, they easily make friendships. However, the maintenance of those friendships is very difficult. Also, there's picking at the cuticles or skin. Definitely perfectionism. 100% all day, every day perfectionism. Losing things easily. As a matter of fact, this is something that affects me very much. There's a running joke between my sons about me losing my house shoes. Also, women with ADHD are more likely to have postpartum depression. Then there's also the fidgeting and often needing to get up and walk around, acting impulsively or speaking before thinking. Self-harming activities are activities that require extreme and unhealthy self-discipline. There's adopting compensatory strategies, which is leading to working two to three times as hard as their peers in order to be equally as successful. It's also a fear of rejection by peers or friends and clinging to other people or remaining in unhealthy uh, relationships. There's also, and sometimes there's also compulsive overeating, a chronic lack of sleep, drinking too much alcohol. And often, while it's not listed as a symptom in many places, there's the co-occurring depression and anxiety, difficult romantic relationships that can lead to intimate partner violence, and at least one space in their life which is in disarray, messy house, messy bedroom, or similar personal space. Also, girls with ADHD often will become sexually active at a younger age than their peers. This is due to impulsivity, poor planning, or the desire to be cared for about their partner. When they do so, they are at a greater risk of being pressured into unwanted sexual activity or becoming victims of sexual violence and are less likely to use or be able to insist that their partners use contraception. So this it's a bit more than being a space cadet. These are real and serious things that can affect women and girls with ADHD. Today, we're going to be speaking with Alexis, who has ADHD, about her experiences. Hey there, we're here with Alexis, my friend, who also has ADHD, and I wanted to chat with her as a woman with ADHD, about women with ADHD and her experiences. Alexis, can you introduce yourself, please? I'm Alexis, and I do have ADHD, and I was not diagnosed until I was in my 30s, and I had all sorts of other diagnoses, <laughs> but it was not that one. That's really common, though. You know, a lot of people um, mm. doing my research for this episode, I saw women with ADHD characterized as a silent epidemic because the diagnoses for women with ADHD is just so messed. So from what mm. I saw in the statistics, it was that the rate of girls 
being diagnosed with ADHD is about half of that of boys with ADHD. So it would make sense that as these girls grow and mature and all of a sudden something isn't going the way that society tells you it should be going, that they're then seeking help and surprise, it's ADHD. And that's what happened to me. So um, I'm not surprised that we have that commonality and experience. Okay, (laughs) Alexis, can you tell me your story? What in relation to the ADHD? My ADHD story, (laughs) which is because I've got a, a long story in terms of psychiatric diagnosis. So when I was diagnosed, I thought maybe I had adult onset and that it was just that. So I was diagnosed after I had kids. I have a, a PhD and I had my second kid right when I was finishing my doctorate. And, and I thought like the kids just removed my ability to, <laughs> my executive functioning skills. And I do think that that's what happened though, is not that they removed them, but that I was always really high functioning. And then when I had mm-hmm. more to do, like if you, when you added the kids on yeah, that, I just exceeded my ability to cope. Looking back at it more recently, I realized that I had those symptoms as a kid and I can remember my father in a, a n- not a mean way, but my father, um, my stepmother mm-hmm. joking around about things that are symptoms of ADHD, me, like when my whole family, we do, <laughs> my father calls it, um, we visit, visit another planet. So we're always doing that. And, you know, I get lost in something and actually would not hear people talking to me, you know, always been a mess, difficulty finishing things. So all the inner inattentive mm-hmm. symptoms, but also, so I have inattentive subject subject but Mm -hmm. I still have a bunch of hyperactive impulsivity symptoms. Well, everyone in my family interrupts. That's kind of part of our style, but you can't talk, get a word (laughs) in edgewise unless you interrupt. (laughs) But I do interrupt a lot. I do things where I like, Mm -hmm. um, well, I always have to be moving. So I knit Mm -hmm. all the time on now that we're on Zoom so that I have my hands busy all the time. Because people can't see on Zoom that I'm knitting, I think. (laughs) And then what else? I talk a lot. I blurt out answers and interrupt. And Mm -hmm. I'll jump from topic to topic. And there is a connection in my head, but people don't. Trying to make that connection for everybody else. Well, you have made 30 connections to get to that one point. The worst is thinkers. That's I mean, being that's able to explain thing. that is a whole nother, um, a whole nother endeavor. Yeah. Well, so I usually do point that out to people, like how I know this <laughs> seems unrelated, but this is how I got there. So, so yeah, I remember that I did have symptoms before I was. Well, now it's like age. 14, 18, it's 12, I think in front of me, but it used yeah. to be age eight in DSM four. So now in, in DSM five, it's that you had to have had them. Well, you, you know, yep, before 12, right? Oh, before age 12, you had some symptoms before age 12. So, you know, I just was you know, for a while. I thought, oh, or what if I have early onset dementia? Or, oh, no. um, and so now I feel like, um, because there is some argument about whether adult onset ADHD is a thing, but it, I realized that it wasn't mm-hmm. adult onset. My first, well, so there was that, but the first recognized issue was depression. And then starting when I was 12 and then moving on from there. And I've been in therapy since I was 16 and had lots yeah. of, I've been to inpatient treatment for eating disorder and uh, substance use disorder. And, and nobody caught it, but probably nobody was looking for it because these Mm -hmm. disorders are thought to be like 
male disorders um, often are not right. diagnosed until later in women, if at all. Um, autism is another one, and autism, which is shares genetic liability risk with ADHD, is something that in girls is being recognized that it's more common um, right. than we thought and that girls aren't diagnosed until right. they're older. Well, from what I understand, so much of that has to do with masking, right? There's so many societal mm -hmm. pressures for girls and women. You know, you have mm -hmm. to look nice. You have to uh, keep a nice house and be organized. And, you know, if you don't know what a glitter gun is, something is wrong with you. You know what I mean? And <laughs> there are all these expectations, right? All of these pressures. Mm -hmm. I was talking to my mom about this today and she was born in 1949 and she is very mm -hmm. vehemently against any discussion of societal pressures shaping her. And I'm like, you are a black woman born in 1949. You had to have your husband sign off for you to get a tubal ligation and he wouldn't do it you should know lots about societal pressures but she's internalized it so much that whenever you mention these things she vehemently vehemently defends them right and mm -hmm. we get in ridiculous disagreements right two adhd people hanging out with two two different adhd mm -hmm. minds floating around we get into these things where like the argument was something ridiculous. It was like she uh, she didn't have a bra on or, or something like that, or she hadn't put a bra on. And she's like, well, it's ugly. And I was like, oh, mom, you know, you say like really harsh things about yourself. Like, I don't like how you talk about yourself. You know, that's a simple example. But she'll, you know, she'll say something is just pitiful that she couldn't get it done or just all these like negative self-talk things that I can imagine have just been beaten into her you know her whole mm -hmm. life and now she doesn't know where she begins and the external pressures begin because they've now become internal pressures she's now internalized things mm -hmm. and so with all of those pressures like that on women and girls, mm -hmm. it doesn't surprise me that mm -hmm. depression shows up first, that anxiety shows up first, because you keep telling me that I should be able to do this, that I need to be able to do this, mm -hmm. and that if I don't get it done, that I'm lazy, that I'm this, that I'm that. You're telling mm -hmm. me all of that, but I can't get it done, and I'm trying really hard. And, and you don't mm -hmm. see me and you don't see how I'm struggling, yeah. that mm -hmm. can make anybody depressed. Anybody at all. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And I think, I mean, the ADHD symptoms show up and we, in terms of, I guess when I introduced myself, didn't say that and I'm a psychiatric epidemiologist, so I study these things. <laughs> and that ADHD does usually have onset before these other things. I don't know if it's causal mm -hmm. or not, um, but it certainly makes sense in stories like what you just told. And I think like my mom was always on my case because I half-ass mm -hmm. everything. That's what she'd say. So that's like one of these symptoms is mm -hmm. not paying attention to detail and everything. It wasn't until I adult that I was an adult that I realized that she half-asses <laughs> everything too. <laughs> Being clean but you know then you feel like you can't do uh -huh. anything right being clean is like a huge value for my family it's like a guarding tenant mm -hmm. of my family yeah. and i like i like when stuff is clean but do you want mm -hmm. me to keep it that way because I'm going to be stressed out and need at least three margaritas to keep this house clean for more than mm -hmm. two days. And so, um, two days is impressive. I know, right? Sometimes you like do everything. <laughs> the next thing you know, it just explodes <laughs> out like an overstuffed suitcase and there's 
especially with yes, kids. Yes, ADHD kids. So my mom, they used to right. say that I was like a rat leaving a trail of droppings. Because see, we're not going to be nice about this in my family. A rat leaving a trail of droppings, you know, just my stuff. All they had to do was follow the path of stuff to find me. And I'll be damned. Mm -hmm. My youngest son literally comes in the door and he explodes out of his clothing. Like he just explodes. Mm -hmm. Like he goes from being fully dressed yeah. to in his underwear in like a 30 second span of time. I mean, oh my gosh. And so what do you find? Sensory issues. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. No, there you're fine. Go ahead. Do you have sensory issues? He sure issues? does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He has sensory issues. He does not like socks and he mm -hmm. is very orally fixated. So he is always chewing something, right? He chews mm -hmm. his shirt. Drives me crazy because everything yeah. is wet. I know why he's doing it, yeah. but I think the anxiety right. has amplified it, right? Because at one point, mm -hmm. I bought them chewing necklaces. I was like, if they're going to chew, they're going to chew. You know, I might as well give them something yeah. productive to chew on. And our mm -hmm. whole family was like, what do they need those for? Oh my gosh, chewing necklaces? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. And my mother-in-law is a, a teacher, as is my mom. And she was like, chewing necklaces? It was like the most outrageous thing to her that I could bought them chewing necklaces. But I prefer <laughs> that to my older son chewing the skin around his fingers yeah. i prefer mm -hmm. that to my younger son chewing clothes mm -hmm. and i'm pretty sure he's bitten somebody before not like another kid but me or his dad it, it just he need they need something to occupy him they need something to occupy him i mean i don't know I, I've joked about getting making a kitty treadmill so I can just strap them to the thing and let, yeah. <laughs> let them go. <laughs> but um, yeah. Well, my kids with ADHD, they go, they run back and forth down the hallway, or they can make this circuit like the hallway to the dining room to the kitchen and uh -huh. back around. And they just go round and round and round. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So. No, I get it. Like before we realized our oldest had ADHD, we had an apartment where you would walk in and there was the kitchen. And then mm -hmm. on the left side, it was going upstairs. And on the right side, no, on the left side, it was upstairs and downstairs. And you could ride in a circle. And so we were here in the winter time and we're we're very much southerners stuck here and so we just gave him his little bike and let him ride it around circles in the kitchen because it was easier doing that than trying to figure out what else to do with him <laughs> what else to do with him because he's riding around on the bike my brain is spinning and I'm getting lost right. in my phone or a book or whatever. I'm just like checking out because my brain is spinning and I need something to occupy it. Right. My husband is working mm -hmm. on a project or playing video games because his brain is spinning. And right. so what do you do? You give a kid a bike and you make sure mm -hmm. he doesn't fall down the stairs. That's what you do. You put up a baby gate mm -hmm. and you let him ride that bike until the carpet is worn down. That's what you do. So, um, yeah, we have a lot in common. <laughs> we have a we have a lot of like people may look at us and like think we have nothing in common, but we have a lot in common. You know, I'm over here with like a purple afro, and you're like elegant lady, and I don't know. So, okay, in hindsight, what do you wish mm -hmm. you had known earlier? Oh, wow. There are all sorts of things, not just about ADHD that I wish I'd known earlier. So about that, I guess, I wish that I'd known and had addressed it earlier. 
I mean, again, just like I was, I was so high functioning, mm-hmm. A, and B, I had a brother, I had two brothers with severe issues. So one of them was like mm-hmm. quiet, but had very bad mm-hmm. ADHD. And the other one also had ADHD. And, but he had conduct issues too. Yeah. And he was like demanding. And so, but I think in terms of, because I got really good mm-hmm. grades, then that wasn't something that people thought, mm-hmm. thought about. And also I was a girl and I'm 50. So but, it was a long what, time ago. Oh, and even my, my brother though, like people, I don't think were like ADHD wasn't, yes, it was a thing then, but it was more like, oh, he's he's a space kid. Oh, that was what they always say. He's just such a space kid. And not thinking like, oh, there's actually something that you could do. And so an intervention earlier would have helped so that it wouldn't, because what happened was I stopped being able to function because I had kids and then those kids had problems. Not just psychiatric problems, but one of my kids uh, or and developmental disorders are both on the spectrum. But um, my first daughter, when she was born for years had health problems that where we were in and out of the ER and the hospital. And so then I'm, and I'm trying to hold down this academic job and I'm the primary caregiver to these kids who really need me. And it just got to the point where I, I couldn't, my everything was falling off the plate right (laughs) obviously i can deal with a lot and my own mental health problems too right which are more than just adhd i can deal with a lot but i feel like if i and now i feel like to be able to deal with all of this i need more than what i had before and that if i would have had the skills in place before the shit really hit the fan in my life, then perhaps I wouldn't have had, because what happened was I stopped being able to perform at the level I performed at before. And then I started to feel really shitty about myself. And I already had problems with depression, but this is just, you know, this spiral. And I became really anxious about my work and my performance. And, and then it's, just this vicious spiral. So then I started to avoid it more. And, you know, you hear this a lot, I think is part of the reason why we don't finish things that it makes mm-hmm. us anxious. Um, and so that I still like, I am a huge procrastinator um, and it's debilitating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like until I get become terrified that if I don't finish it, you know, that people are going to think bad things about me, which is mm-hmm. terrifying to me, <laughs> um, then I won't uh, finish it. And yeah, I get distracted by all of these bright, shiny, bright, things shiny things that are best that are easier. Right. So, yeah. Um, okay. That makes a lot of sense. Again, I, I can see commonalities for myself in that, you know, it's so funny how they miss it when you're younger. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the diagnostic model due to sexism and racism for a long time has been, you know, that wild white boy, you know, and it kind of left the rest of us, it, it overshadowed the rest of us. You know, I literally danced on desk, Alaska's. I literally stood on desk in elementary school and danced, okay? They blamed it on my asthma medication because it was a liquid and they said it had a lot of sugar in it and that it caused me to be hyperactive. It was not the asthma medicine. (laughs) It was not the asthma medicine at all, but they blamed it. You know, they came up with all these things that it was and it was none of them. Like it just, you know, I mean, 
It was nothing that they came up with. Have you ever had a provider say something like, oh, you went to a good school or you get good grades or you do this as a way of kind of negating your concerns about your ADHD symptoms? Well, um, no, but that was because nobody ever discussed mm -hmm. it, I think, until, right, until after I had kids. And then I started to, and I was doing research on, I was doing something where I was coding a diagnostic algorithm for ADHD. And so I was really looking at the symptoms and the the questions we use to assess it. And then I'm like, hey, I have <laughs> But then I think initially the whatever clinician I told was doubtful. Mm -hmm. And like, well, did you have symptoms when you were younger? So it goes back to that is that and only just in the past few weeks did I recognize that I had symptoms when I was young. Mm. So one of my siblings, um, texted me just out of the blue and it's like, I think I have ADHD <laughs> and she's uh, in her late twenties. And so then I went through the, and then we were talking like, well, because she's not, she's a mm -hmm. half sib and our, so my other, our other sibling is my full sibling. So the parent that we, and so I, like the idea is that I thought it came from our mother and not our father. So I'm like, well, it, it, then I'm, I'm, we're like thinking, well, does dad have ADHD? And then we like went through all the symptoms and I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> but he's also very mm -hmm. high functioning. But and the, the thing is like, we're academics and I think, you know, this absent-minded professor we're, we're like the absent-minded right. professor doing right. all these things and we make these excuses but somehow we got to be right. professors so we're high enough functioning to be able to get there but that doesn't mean that it's not causing distress right. and so I think that's part of what you're you're getting at there that well you know you can't have this problem because um well we have these ideas about that as long as you're functioning, then it's okay. Not, are you functioning optimally? Right. right. Um, um, you know, I, I, so I'm in a group. It is called Black Unicorns. And it is mm -hmm. um, people with ADHD of marginalized genders. So it is a very mm -hmm. unique space a very affirming space mm -hmm. and a lot of the stories that mm -hmm. i'm seeing are and especially for the adult you know the the adult seeking diagnosis which is the majority of the group a lot of the mm -hmm. things that i'm seeing are well they're saying it's anxiety right they're saying is depression they're saying that because i have adhd they can't prescribe me stimulants because I'm a higher risk for substance abuse, you know, and they're saying all of these things to them. And I, I was looking at a diagnostic handbook for ADHD, and it says that for ADHD and for depression and anxiety, that you treat the thing that is affecting the person more, right? So if you treat the depression and the problem's still there, are you going to admit that it's not depression? Or are you going to continue to be bullheaded about what you believe and leave this person hanging? And unfortunately, due to mm -hmm. so much of healthcare bias, a lot of, a lot of Black people, Black women, Black femmes, Black trans, like in anything mm -hmm. in that realm, a lot of them are being left hanging by our medical system. 
And so that's why I, I in particular wanted to know if you'd ever kind of had like pushback about it because I remember I was 16 or 17 and I was having issues related to what I think may be the early onset of my bipolar and they treated the depressive portion right because it's always depression so they treated the depressive portion but they did not treat anything else and when i said like whenever i felt under control i said do you think i could have adhd and they were and and the Mm -hmm. clinician who was a black female herself said no Mm -hmm. it's the depression isn't that isn't that crazy so i know i wanted to know if you had experience with that because i know that's something that a lot of women are going through uh well i mean i there are so many things about what you said i keep putting different hats on but in terms of the first to address the issue of the drugs and i'm not surprised and very sorry to hear that in terms of um but they're study mm-hmm. after study and in t- terms of, of physicians being unwilling to prescribe things that could be addictive because of this stereotype which is absolutely mm-hmm. unfounded in data of black people being more likely to be addicted and that no. is not true and i research substance use disorders. (laughs) So I know it is not true. So there's that. And then, I mean, there's issue. Well, you know, so just across the board, there are all of these issues with and bias and it's internalized even among providers who are themselves Mm -hmm. people of color. Then in speaking of in terms of the pushback, not on medication necessarily once, but here's, so because I have some other, lots of other health problems. So I also, I suffer from excessive daytime sleepiness because I have multiple sleep disorders that are not completely controlled. So because of that, then a stimulant and like I would can. I can't drive very, very long on the highway. I'll fall asleep. I sometimes fall asleep at traffic lights and, and things like that. So a stimulant for that. And I'm always the one who brings up the thing about like, I'm a person in recovery. So I don't, I'm very cautious about taking anything that could be addictive. And I'm really like, if I weren't a person in recovery, sometimes I would probably like when it starts to wear off at the end of the day, I'd take another Vyvanse, but, <laughs> but I'm, so careful about only taking it as prescribed. Um, yeah, but people didn't bring that up. It was more of an issue of, well, you've got all these other things. And I mean, so it's the case that, you know, our ADHD can make us cause anxiety and depression, but, you know, we can have mm-hmm. multiple mm-hmm. things. And the differential diagnosis part mm-hmm. is hard. I mean, as we're talking about our kids, for example, and like my kids have are on the autism spectrum. And some of these, a lot of these symptoms mm-hmm. overlap for different diagnoses. I, I actually saw a statistic that said about that maybe approximately 40% of kids with autism that are on the spectrum also have ADHD. I don't know how accurate it is, but. <laughs> I think that's an underestimate. I think I've read higher. I mean, it it definitely is a spectrum. And speaking of neurodivergence, I found Mm -hmm. it very interesting to find people who classify bipolar as a neurodivergent condition. So I I found that very interesting. It's just a huge spectrum and nobody knows what the hell they're doing. They're just throwing stuff at the wall. They're just throwing shit at the wall and seeing if it sticks. (laughs) Well, and... I recently realized that the DSM, which is what we're, you know, how we define things, that they, they weren't even trying to be valid. So valid is like, you know, that you're measuring what you mm-hmm. think you're measuring. So it's, you know, we have signs and symptoms that tend to be grouped together. And that 
is the case, but we're not classifying things the way we classify most like physical mm-hmm. disorders by the causes because we mm-hmm. don't know the causes. And it's possible that the DSM is a lot of it's wrong. So we we think of it as the mm-hmm. the truth in capital letters there. And but it's not. And so it could be just that all of not just, but one of the things that could be going on is that we just have our, our right. categories wrong. So can you tell me about a time you failed and how you overcame that? Well, I might need more. I feel like I fail all the time. I'm very yeah. hard on myself. So Yeah, I guess it just depends on, uh, I guess, how you define failing. But certainly there are many, many times where I intend to do Mm -hmm. something, say I'm going to do something and don't. And then there are times when I feel like I've failed because I haven't done something as well as as I. So I guess that's a a bigger thing where I feel like Mm -hmm. a failure. And I'm in a business where you're evaluated constantly. Mm-hmm. Like most people, like let's see if you have a corporate job, you might get evaluated by your boss. Right. <laughs> or, you know, right. like a couple people. But like I've got hundreds of people who can say what they think of me anonymously. <laughs> yeah, it's all yeah, I see look under terrible. <laughs> it is. It's terrible, especially for somebody that already has issues with yeah. depression. And so, you know, sometimes I don't do a great job. Sometimes I try really hard. And, you know, that semester, I don't do a great job. And it's really, or I think I did a great, a, an okay job, but then people say nasty things. So <laughs> the hard part is letting it mm-hmm. go. And so one thing and this, I don't know that this is a treatment for ADHD, but ADHD tends to not be people's only diagnosis. So one of my kids is, we're, is a mm-hmm. teenager and we did a, a DBT program and it involves the parents. So even though I wasn't doing dialectical behavioral therapy myself, like I wasn't the client, but I did all of, like, I learned all the DBT skills and we did a group mm-hmm. together with the teenagers and the parents. So I learned all this and it was fabulous. And so those skills, CBT skills have really helped for the depression and anxiety. So cognitive behavioral therapy, thought records. So that to say, or that if you fail, whatever that Mm -hmm. means to you, which to me is it's not like outright failing. It's that I didn't do as well as I. It's your own standards that are really Uh, hanging you up. Right. Right. And then to then think, then I think myself that like have all this negative Mm -hmm. self-talk and is it really true? Right. Right. Uh, Random question or not random. Do you hold others to those same extremely high standards? That's a hard question. I'd say yes and no. So like on the one hand, I'm really, I'm really critical and I was brought up and, you know, go back generations of people being really critical. And I was brought up that perfection was the expectation you don't get praised for doing what you're supposed to be doing. And like, as a kid, I was like, I got A's. So I was supposed to be like, we know you're capable of it and we're not going to praise you for doing well in school, but we'll criticize you. <laughs> when you're Fun, you right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it was about a lot of things. And so now I've lost my passion here. Um, oh, and do I hold other people to this standard? So I do have mm-hmm. high standards. And, and I feel like over the years, though, I've gotten 
better. And like one of the things I learned in DBT and it's so difficult for me is validation. So not validating myself and validating others. So being able to see something good mm -hmm. in everything. Mm -hmm. And that's just as hard for me as it is for other people. That makes sense. I mean, it's hard for me to see it in myself or maybe even harder for me to see good things, right. something good. Can you tell me a funny story about you and your ADHD? It could be a ridiculous situation you found yourself in or uh, anything like that. A funny, a funny, funny ADHD story. story about yourself oh. or a funny anecdote. Hmm, I don't know off the top of my head. Gosh, I don't, I bet there are funny things every mm -hmm. day or, I mean, cause I like in class and now that we're mm -hmm. on Zoom too, I'm always like, I just leave off in the middle of the sentence cause something pops up in the chat. I, I do that a lot. And I'm sure that it's been a weird or inopportune times, but I, you know, I might be able to think, of, I'll probably think of something in the shower, where I do my best thinking is in the shower. It's hard for me because I feel like it ends up being criticized so much. Um, and yet there's so many good things mm -hmm. about, like what we were talking before, like the ability to make these connections between all of these yeah. things, like that's something that a lot of people can't do. Well, I, I could tell you um, one of my favorite things about you. is okay. I have an associate's degree and mm -hmm. when I went to this highfalutin boarding school I had grand plans of being a doctor and my diagnoses kept getting in the way I finally managed to scrape everything together enough to make it through nursing school an associate's program right and I was so, over the years, it's been a point of self-consciousness for me. And when you met me and we spoke and I brought that up, at no point did you ever make me feel self-conscious about it. At no point did you talk down to me about it. Like, oh, I have a PhD and you have an associate's, you can't be that bright. You've always just been warm and welcoming and and pretty egalitarian in your approach to me. I've always really appreciated that. That and the fact that you have on multiple times told me I need to go get my master's in public health. So you do. The fact that you see that potential in me is like a healing balm, right? Because so many times as an ADHD person, you hear the, you have such high potential if you would only, you could do this if you would only, why are you being lazy? You should be better at this than this. How can you know XYZ high concept and you don't know how to clean your room, you know, or insert some other perceived basic concept. After a lifetime of hearing that and having someone be like, I see something else, you know, that's, that's awesome. So, yeah. Oh, yes. Thank you. Yes. And you are awesome. I was telling my partner on the way back, we were someplace before this and I was telling him about you and I'm like, she's really, really smart. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I, I appreciate that. Um, and insightful and it doesn't matter what degree you yeah. have. I'm eventually. Listen, I'm going to eventually beat this bipolar and this trauma and this mm -hmm. ADHD into enough shape that I can mm -hmm. get that goddamn bachelor's so that I can move on to the other things that I want to do because I do have other goals. It's just when mm -hmm. you don't find out that you have all of these things going on until you've had your second kid mm -hmm. and you're 32, I mean... Mm -hmm. it, come on. I mean, it's, 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 mm -hmm. it's definitely being 
you know, sideblinded, you know, it's, it's definitely like that. And I'm fortunate enough to say I have a good support system. And that even though I'm in the middle of a hard time right now, I'm still happier and healthier than I've ever been in my life. Because what a gift to know what's going on and be able to do something about it than having it sit there silently sabotaging you and and have no idea what's going on and only have only feel like you have yourself to blame, right? Like I'm just not good enough. Well, Alexis, I appreciate you so much. Thank you for being my first interview. I <laughs> mm -hmm. well there you have it that is my first interview with alexis i really just want to thank alexis so much for her time and her wonderful insight this is my first interview so Yes, there are some, some bumps and the editing might be interesting, but I really appreciate you sticking around long enough to get to this point. You can contact me at mama.adhdpod at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. Hopefully you've got praises. And if possible, you can also leave me a review. Uh, if you like what you heard also um please subscribe i've got more coming and i would love to have you continue on this journey with me all right guys have a great day mm -hmm.